Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to see you. Welcome to September. Let's get going. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it to Colossians chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use the one that's in the chair rack in front of you and keep that as your own. Let that be our gift to you. If you're a visitor here today, maybe you're just investigating what what Christianity is all about, or maybe you were invited by a friend, maybe you're a young soldier in the army and you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take that, keep it as your own. Well, this morning is a bit of an unusual Sunday in that we are taking some time out of regularly working our way through a book of the Bible. For the past several months, we've been in Genesis, and last Sunday we finished up with Genesis chapter 27. There's a few more chapters for us to get to, but we're going to get to that in uh, 2015. We're hitting the pause button in Genesis, and next week we're going to get into Romans chapter 8, which we have said, I've said, I don't know whether you agree with me or not, this is just my opinion which I think is the greatest chapter ever written. I think it is the most comprehensive and wonderful explanation of the Christian life in one succinct place in the whole Bible. And so next week, starting uh, that Sunday, September 14th, we'll be working through Romans 8 through, uh, Lord willing, all the way up to Christmas. And then in 2015, we'll, we'll get back into Genesis or maybe some other shorter sermon series working through a book of the Bible. But this morning, as we have told you about the last few weeks, we have decided to uh, take out time on a Sunday morning to explain and uh, fill you in on some things that we want to do as a church, which will require us to raise money. So for the first time in the nine and a half years of Crosspoint's existence, we are initiating a fundraising effort. Uh, We've creatively titled it a capital campaign. I mean, we thought for weeks on what we should call it, and that was what we came up with. We thought we should just call it what it is. And so this morning, uh, we thought it would be wise to even use a Sunday morning when we have the widest audience, when most of us are here, to explain our heart and reasons behind this for the first few minutes here, but then to transition to uh, really dreaming together about what cross point. Uh, Lord willing, will look like in in the years to come. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 1, the last two verses of Colossians chapter 1, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, really letting you in on why we feel this is necessary. So it's going to feel kind of a bit more sort of administrative and logistical. And then we're going to get back into Colossians 1 and dream together. And so if you are visiting for the first time today, know that this is a bit of an unusual Sunday. We're, we're kind of taking this Sunday morning to have a sort of family talk. But I pray that even as we do something a bit unusual for us, and usually we just work through a passage of the Scripture, try and hold up Christ and His gospel and look at its claim on our lives in all areas, even as we don't do that so much this morning and look at where we are as a church and some things that we think we need to do, I pray that even in this unusual Sunday, that you would see the beauty of the risen King, Jesus, and that it would stir your affections, and that God might call you to himself. And if you're already a Christian, I pray that your heart would be warmed for the most glorious news there is, and that your life would be seized and inspired to be on mission together with either this local church or some other Bible-believing, gospel-cherishing local church for his glory and your joy. So let me read Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 through 29. If I could, I've already said many times that Romans 8 is my favorite chapter in the Bible. This may be one of my favorite verses. I think it encapsulates what I want my life to be about and what I pray that the life of this church would be about. Colossians 1, verse 28 and 29. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy 
that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Well, Father, as we, as we come to your word and as we come to this place in our life together as a, as a church, Lord, you have been spectacularly and indescribably good to us these past nine and a half years. I pray that today as we, as we pause to think about some needs that are before us and some things that we feel as leaders that we need to do, and then as we dream towards our future together, I pray that ultimately, God, the, the highest, loudest note that would be played today would not be logistics or money, but the beauty of a risen, conquering, victorious, sovereign, gracious, merciful King. I pray that our hearts would be warmed and that we together would lean forward into the most beautiful news in the universe. I pray that you do this for the glory of your name, for the joy of your people, and for the salvation of those who are not trusting in Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. So let me just kind of get it out there. The, and the, as the military says, the bottom line up front, the, the bluff. There is no bluff in this, though. That's just an acronym. Uh, the bottom line up front is that we, as pastors, elders, feel that it is wise for us to initiate a capital campaign to raise $2.5 million over the next two years through the end of 2016. How did we arrive at this figure? And at this place, well, for quite some time, if you've been part of Crosspoint and you either are uh, working in our children's ministry or have children that regularly are in children's ministry rooms, which are behind us in the hallway, behind the sanctuary, you are aware that space has been very tight in our children's ministry rooms. We regularly have very full or nearly full capacity in those rooms. In fact, um, in the sanctuary here, there's between, on any given Sunday, between five to 700 people. And then in the hallway behind us, there are another 150 to 200 children every Sunday in those rooms. And we praise God for his grace to us. We started as a church nine and a half years ago with, with just a handful of people. We started meeting in the old Mountain Hill Schoolhouse up in Harris County, about 20 miles off in the woods, and that building was a wonderful place for us, and, and we grew, and there were children's classrooms in the hallway, and God, by his great and extravagant kindness, showed us this building that we moved into four years ago, and four years ago, we started to, in fact, this Sunday, it was four years ago this Sunday that we moved into this building as tenants leasing this building, and then two years ago, by God's grace, we were able to purchase this building and the two adjoining buildings next to us. And so we, we now are, have a mortgage and, and own these buildings that we are currently in. And Lord willing, we will be here for, for the foreseeable future, for decades to come. And, but uh, we need to reconfigure some of this, this space here in, in our building. Uh, on any given Sunday... Uh, the, the children's rooms are full, and it has at times resulted in the uh, situation where we had to cap rooms. So as we have a limit of the number of children which can, uh, can safely be in a room. And if you've ever worked in the yellow room or the green room, you, should, you like deserve some army commendation medal, some sort of like children's ministry, you know, uh, combat zone patch for working in that room on that Sunday. And you know that those rooms are stressed, and we praise God for that. And we also, as we have grown as a church, are wanting to do more adult education and discipleship classes. And so on our uh, Sunday morning classes that we have three semesters a year, as Reynolds just said, we're starting another semester in September. If you've ever been in those rooms, you, you know that it's sometimes a challenge with the band warming up and practicing and moving that, that space for children's ministry that we need not only more children's classrooms, but we need more dedicated adult classrooms. And then we are in a building that is about 40 years old and the roof is failing to some degree and, and then the side, of the side walls um, were built with the material 30, 40 years ago that anytime there's a driving uh, rain, 
There is water that gets into the building. None of this has snuck up on us. We, we knew from the beginning that there were issues with this building. But what we paid for this building when we bought it in 2012 was way, way, way below what it would have cost us to recreate this space right smack dab in the middle of town if we had built from scratch. So we, we paid a, a couple million dollars for this building and the two side buildings. And we now have 72,000 square feet, which we own. If we were to recreate 72,000 square feet just from scratch, it would cost us way north of $10 million. So God has been incredibly gracious to us. So we feel that as we look at all of this and some things that we need to do, reconfiguring space in the building and repairs on the building, and then looking forward to retiring our debt, Lord willing, as soon as possible, we have, have come up with this figure of $2.5 million that we desire to raise over the next two years. So where will this money go? We're breaking this down into really just kind of five, five components. The first, and we've got a list here for you, is that we need to reconfigure, as I've said, the children and classroom space. And we have uh, got a, a, a consultation on this from a, a builder who's part of this church, and we have a good estimate that that will cost around $490,000. Now that includes four new children's classrooms, better classroom space dedicated for adult classes. We will also within that outfit the foyer with sound equipment for fellowship meals and, and, and banquet type events, a permanent baptismal that we would, Lord willing, put kind of over in that side of the sanctuary over there, and also an entrance awning so that when it's raining, you can drop uh, people off at the front entrance without getting uh, you know, soaked before they come into, into the building. And let's pause on that list, and we've got kind of a sketch here of the uh, proposed reconfiguration. I know that's a bit hard to see, but if you notice those shaded areas, those are the areas that will be different from what is existing. So I've got a little laser pointer here with a red dot. Never done this before, but here we are. As you can tell, I've never done this before. There we go. So this area right in here is different from what exists. And right here, that's actually a hallway leading out to an exterior door. So that entrance that nobody really ever comes in, um, we're going to close that off and make that another nursery. Then an indoor play area for our elementary age children and then we have, we're going to add a couple rooms here for five-year-olds to kindergartners and then kindergartners to first grade. And then we're going to wall off this space, which is right now just this whole area is open for our youth. This is going to be a more closed-in, dedicated space for our elementary-age kids' church and our youth group that meets on, on Sunday nights. And then all of this area out here will just be open space. It will be for the kids to play and like it is now with you know, just a, a hangout space for the, for the children. And then this wall right here, you can see that little, that little phrase there, which I'm sure you can't read it so small, is we're going to do our best to soundproof those walls so that should we need on Sunday mornings or maybe on, a Wednesday, or, or, or on other uh, occasions to use this youth and elementary space uh, as an adult classroom, maybe Sunday morning while the band is practicing, that that would be a much much better for that, and not that the sound wouldn't bleed over. And then also over here, which is that uh, corner of the building, we're going to wall that off, and we're going to increase the size of that sort of strangely triangle-shaped building and make that a larger classroom. And again, Lord willing, as best as we are able, soundproof those walls so that classes, adult classes, can go on in that class. And then that would free up this classroom here, which is now currently a, a, a baby nursery, which will move all the way over here to this new classroom. So we'll have a, two additional uh, adult classes that we can use on Sunday morning before the service for our Sunday morning classes or Wednesday night type of events. And so we think that that will cost, back to the list if you could guys, that all of that will cost $490,000. Then secondly, as I mentioned, our roof is failing. I mean, again, this is not a surprise to us. But anytime there's hard rain, there's water that comes into this building, uh, I wish we could show you a video. We won't do it this, this morning, but uh, it was so, it's so 
it's so neat to see a couple weeks ago. It wasn't neat, but I thought it was funny. Uh, there was a driving rain, and the, basically the roof was falling in in the green room, and Robert just happened to be here late that afternoon working on something. It was about 6 or 7 o'clock in the evening, and he called Springer and I, and we came here, and I, I saw Robert with like a, with like a mop. He looked like Popeye the Sailor Man swabbing the deck like mopping up the, you know, all he needed was a tattoo of an anchor and a cigar in his mouth, which, you know, I don't condone cigar smoking, especially in the church premises. But he just, you know, and, and again, it just happened a couple of days ago, just a whole bunch of water comes in. And so we need to not only repair our roof, but we need to repair the roofs of the two side buildings, which we are the landlords of those businesses, and they regularly get water in them. Again, this is not a surprise to us. This is just part of owning buildings. So we, uh, a roof, an estimate for replacing the roof on all three, three buildings would be $360,000. Then, thirdly, we, uh, again, as I mentioned, the exterior building, the, the, the materials used to build this building is about 30 or 40 years old, and it is to some degree porous, where that short level of bricks meets the rest of the wall. Anytime there's a driving rain, a significant amount of water gets into the building, and we just don't think it's wise or good stewardship to reconfigure and just to continue to kind of mop stuff up. Uh, we think that really the exterior of the building needs to be resurfaced to a more a more modern and waterproof uh, exterior. So this would require us to just sort of in piecemeal tear down the exterior of the building and really re redo it with better material. It won't necessarily change the look of the building, but it will help us to, to, to really protect what's inside the building from the water that just comes in. And that will, we've got a good estimate on that, $430,000 for that. And then uh, again, is, uh, another thing that we need to do is resurface and fix the numerous potholes in our parking lot. And so we have got an estimate on that, which is $40,000 for the parking lot. In fact, some of you, if you've ever driven over on the back side of the parking lot by IHOP over there, there's a big pothole. I like to call it the Bermuda Triangle. I think we've lost a few visitors over in that, like in that pot. They signed a card. We called them. Nobody answered. Sent them a note. Nobody was there. So we need to fix the Bermuda Triangle of potholes over there and resurface the rest of the... Uh, of the of the parking lot and repaint it and resurface it so that it looks good and is a good stewardship of of our of our premises and then finally uh, as I mentioned we bought this building outright in 2012 now here's this incredible news without any giving campaign or raising any money we bought uh, all of this uh, shopping center two years ago for 3.5 million dollars knowing that we didn't need it all, so we sold off the front portion of the uh, shopping center and just kept this building and the two sides buildings uh, for a, a, a million and 1.7 or something like that. So that left us with a mortgage of about $1.9 million in 2012. In just two years' time, because of your generosity and faithfulness, we have paid down our mortgage from 1.9 to 1.18 million dollars without really even making it a huge emphasis. Praise God. So we have a remaining debt, our mortgage, of 1.18 million dollars. So where did we get our figure of 2.5 million from? Well, it's the total. If you add all of that up, the 490 for the classroom space reconfiguration, the 360 for the roof, the 430 for waterproofing the walls, 400,000 or 40,000 for the parking lot, and then 1.18 million for retiring our, our debt. That is a total figure of 2.5 million dollars that we, uh, praise God, Lord willing, hope to raise over the next couple of years. So several things to note before we before we uh, get specific about what we're asking you to do, and then get back into Colossians, chapter one. None of this has snuck up on us. We knew that there were these issues with the walls and the roof. But again, I, I just can't emphasize enough where we would be if we had not found this building, even though it's a bit aging, and we had to build from scratch. Friends, we would, we would not be able to accommodate the size congregation that we have now with, with, with room to grow. So God has been extravagantly gracious to us. We are still way below what we would have had to uh, spend if we would have had, have had to build from scratch. At the end of the service, on your way out, there will be this little booklet that we'll have out on tables in each exit, and then we'll be in the chair backs in the, in the subsequent Sundays, a little capital campaign booklet with uh, an explanation 
a more detailed explanation of, of all of these areas that we're wanting to raise money for, what the money's going to, uh, the, the layout, the, the little architectural sketch that, that will show the proposed changes, and then a commitment card that we are asking every person that calls Crosspoint home to consider giving towards this effort. So then, that brings me to this great question. In light of this, what are we asking you, Crosspoint Church, to do? Well, first, we're humbly and sincerely asking everybody that calls Crosspoint home to give. Listen, if you're a visitor here today and you know, you're like, oh, great, man, this, this church is fulfilling all of the stereotypes, right? You know, way to go, friend who invited me today. No, no, we're not talking to you. We don't, we, we don't want your money. We, we want your hearts for Christ. And then we want your life to follow what it means to be a follower of Jesus in time. I'm speaking now to people that are, that are cross-pointers. We're asking all of you to give. To give as the Lord enables you to prayerfully consider giving sacrificially above your regular giving not just to transfer kind of what you maybe normally give to keep ministry going here, but to give, to consider giving above your regular giving. And can I just say how, how just generous you have been? I, I look back on my life as the pastor of this church. We've been a church for nine and a half years. We did a little short series on giving probably six or seven years ago in the schoolhouse. And it was a goofy little series I did. I just, I look back on it, and I kind of blush. It was so sad. I had a bunch of watermelons and cantaloupes and stuff. I just, uh, this stuff that we did early on, I look back, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, whatever. But I, I actually still feel that way sometimes just about a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I guess I'll be feeling like that for the rest of my life as a pastor. But, but we've never been manipulative or you know, had thermometers on the stage or taken Old Testament verses out of context or promised you any crazy blessing or anything like that. We've just looked at the beautiful gospel and the risen victorious Jesus, the most important news in the world, and considered God's utter claim on our lives. And that everything in our life, our money, our relationships, our marriages, our parenting, our singleness, everything, our gifts, our time, our talents, our treasures are all given to us by God to be joyfully pushed into the middle of the table and say, they're yours, Jesus. They're yours for your glory and my joy. And so we are asking, if you're part of Crosspoint, to give, to give. No amount, friends, is too small. I know the temptation. I, I have this temptation. You kind of look around the room and you kind of say, well, I, I kind of know what that guy does. Well, he'll, he'll, he can take care of this. I'm just, I'm just scratching by. I understand that. But this is what Jesus views, how Jesus views small gifts. In Mark chapter 12, at the end of that chapter there, he, he makes this really incredible statement about our hearts and giving. Mark chapter 12, let me read it, verses 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had all she had to live on. I think what Jesus is teaching us there is that this sacrificial giving, even if it amounts to just a very small amount, is, is, is really in Jesus' eyes more beautiful and more worthy and more valuable than somebody who maybe has much earthly wealth and just doesn't give as, as generously or sacrificially. And no amount, friend, is, is too small whether it is hundreds of thousands of dollars or whether for you it is just a few dollars. Pray that you would consider giving to this. And then hear my heart on this. What is success? In a couple years, we're either going to raise $2.5 million or we're not. Friends, success is not 
$2.5 million in the reconfiguring of classrooms and more efficient you know, running of children's ministry and more adult classes and no water coming in the building. No, friends, success is not a tangible dollar figure or walls and new space and all of this stuff or, or, or a better parking lot. Now, success, friends, is a group of people who have been seized by the glorious news in Jesus' claim on all of their life. And as part of that claim on all of their life, they see themselves as part of a local church that is on a mission for the glory of God. And they roll up their sleeves. And as they are able, they prioritize and sacrificially give of what God has given to them to do their part. And friends, if that ends up being $50,000 over the next two years and we are $2.400,000 short, I know the math doesn't add up there, 2.45 or whatever, I wasn't a math major, then praise God if all of us roll up our sleeves and do our part to the best of our ability. Friends, the goal is not $2.5 million. The goal is a group of people who've been seized by the grace of Christ, who see their life's ambition, not their retirement or their comfort or their pleasure, but Christ's glory. Linking arms together with their local church, being part of the beautiful display of the gospel of Jesus. So how can you respond? Well, as you leave the sanctuary today, we pray that you would take one of these booklets. We pray that you, with your family, your spouse, or if you're single, just ask the Lord what you may do. And to, in, before the end of this year, that you would take this commitment card and, and that you would respond. You can turn in this card, either in the offering and subsequent Sundays. You can mail it to the office. You can drop it in the black boxes at the at the rear doors over the coming weeks. Our hope is that everyone that calls Crosspoint home will respond in some way. And if you are, listen, if you're in a terrible situation financially, look, we're not asking you to to go into more debt to do this. No, maybe the wisest thing for you to do would just write on the card, hey, I can't give now, I'm praying, and I'm signing up for that personal finances class with Reynolds and the guys so that I can get out from being upside down, credit card debt or, you know, a bad car loan or whatever. No, we're not asking you to feel, and you need not feel guilty or manipulated or second-class citizen at all, but we want everybody to respond and to pray and to consider what God might do. Our plan is to carry this campaign through 2016 in, re- in regard to the 2016 in regards to a time frame to give, but you won't hear sort of an endless drip over the next couple years of this praise God, right? Praise God. You will, however, for the coming Sundays in 2014, for the remaining Sundays of this year, we'll hear just regular um, updates and, and uh, just reminders of this. And then after the beginning of the year, we're going to settle down into, Lord willing, getting some of this work started. But we'll continue to raise money, but you're not going to hear a constant drip of this uh, for the next two years. And then finally, what we're asking you to do is in two Sundays, September 21st at 6 p.m. here in the sanctuary, we're going to have a Q&A for all of your questions. And we have a team of men that includes our staff and our finance team and several others, the men that will be leading the work on this, men that for the past few months have been praying, thinking about coming up with all of these figures. Uh, They will be there, and this team is all on board with this, and they'll be there to answer all of your questions. So we want you to come to that Q&A on Sunday night, September 21st at 6 p.m. here in the sanctuary. Okay, well, let's get back into the text. Colossians chapter 1, 28 through 29. Which, friends, this is the end. The goal is not $2.5 million. The goal is that we would be a radically generous gospel-saturated, Bible-believing, Christ-exalting people who see all of our life as a response to Him and His grace. So let me read it again. Colossians 1, 28 through 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom 
that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's just look at that, that, that scripture briefly. First, Paul says, him we proclaim. The aim of Paul's ministry, Paul's hope for the Colossian church, and Paul's hope for us, in other words, the Holy Spirit, as he's writing through Paul, the Holy Spirit's God's hope for us is that we would be a people in a church that proclaims the good news of the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Christ. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel, that we are all born in sin, that we have all, like our first parents, Adam and Eve, as we read about as we went through Genesis, and then as we have seen this train wreck of human sin and, and, and debauchery develop in the early chapters of Genesis, we are all born as rebels. Friends, we're not good people. We're not church folks. We're not moral Americans. We're not conservative whatever. We are all born rebels. And the message of the gospel is, is that we don't need to be helped or improved, but we are all lost in our sin, separated from a holy and righteous and good creator who doesn't leave us in that helpless estate, but comes to us in the form of Jesus, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who is takes on flesh just like us, takes on humanity, robes his divinity, clothes it in humanity, and lives the life that all of us should have lived. Where we have rebelled, Jesus has completely obeyed God's holy and righteous law. Where all of us have thought evil, Jesus has resisted temptation all the way to the end. And he has stored up and recaptured perfection in humanity and then lays down his perfect holy life on the cross and becomes the substitute, the wrath-absorbing sacrifice for all who will ever turn and trust in him. And whosoever looks away from themselves and their own morality and their own righteousness and looks to Jesus will be saved. Friends, that is the gospel. That is what we proclaim. That's what Paul is encouraging the Colossians to do. And that, friends, is the only hope. It's the only news that really matters. There are only two types of people in this world. There are not, you know, good people and bad people and, you know, in-between people and Auburn fans and Alabama fans and Army fans and Navy fans, and oh, by the way, I just got to throw it in there. Army won their season opener yesterday for the first time in 10 years. Praise God. <laughs> Sorry. Look, there, there aren't white people and black people and Americans and Europeans and rich people and poor people. No, friends. There are only two types of people in this world. Those who have looked to Christ and are His and are in Christ and are trusting in Him for their right standing with the Holy God. Or those who are outside of Christ. And friends, there's coming a day when Jesus will come back and all will be judged. All of us will be judged. And those of us that are in Christ Jesus will take our judgment. He has taken our judgment on the cross. And those, the rest of the world, those who are not trusting in Christ, they don't just kind of float away into a sort of never, never land where just kind of relatively decent people go. No, friends, those who are trusting in themselves, even good, moralistic, seemingly righteous, conservative Southern Americans will spend an eternity, Jesus says, separated from God in eternal despair where the fire is not quenched and where the worm does not die. And those that are in Christ, not because of anything good in them, but because of his grace that he worked in their lives to cause them to turn to him, will enter into everlasting, increasing joy forever. Friends, those are the only two types of people that exist. And God, in his kindness, has made the means by which he he proclaims that message so that people that are over here would come out from over here to look to Jesus and be in Christ. He has made the means of that message dusty, incomplete, fearful, anxious, jacked up people like us. 
So friends, that is why we exist. Do we really believe this? Does eternity truly hang in the balance for you and for the people in the city and for the people of the nations? If it truly does, friends, then dear friend, there is coming a day when we will care nothing about our retirement fund or the square footage of our house or how far our kids went in sports or whether our 11-year-old can throw a stupid curveball or how in shape we are physically or whether we are married or have the right job or got the promotion or whether we made it through ranger school or we reach a thousand other temporary earthly summits that all will give way Friends, there's coming a day, if this is true, when the only thing that will matter is the glorious good news of how a person can be made right with a holy God through trusting in Jesus' life alone. And friends, that is what Paul is saying we proclaim. Friends, that is our goal. And in as much as our little, tiny, little, meager efforts, and that's what raising $2.5 million is. I mean, throw as many zeros as you want. Add the, what's the Google, the Googleoid zero? Throw a thousand zeros behind. It's all trinkets compared to a God who works through jacked up people like us. Friends, it's merely a means to an end to be a people that proclaim the glorious news. And then Paul says that we do this by warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. How do we do that? Uh, I would argue that we as a local church aren't just individual Christians that come together to hear a message that we individually respond to so that we can secure our eternal destiny and then we sort of move on to managing our lives in the most helpful way possible. No, friends. This message of the gospel grafts us into a community called the local church whereby then we are together with another with a group of pardoned rebels and we become this humble grace-filled people who center our lives on the bible that god has handed down to us through the holy spirit's inspiration and we believe that this word reveals jesus that it's without error that it is the way that god brings light to people's hearts and so we become a people who are biblically driven and theologically robust and we're wise and we're warm and we're thoughtful and we have this mind towards our culture and we're thinking constantly as a local church how to best communicate this glorious gospel and we have this Christ-like warmth and compassion about us and we, we don't become people that sort of retreat to a bunker and just sort of throw grenades at the culture because it's lost. No, we like Jesus descend into a broken world in hopes that God might use us and how we live together as a local church to be a sort of display of his grace, a kind of early deposit to point us forward to heaven. Think of it this way. Think of a builder that buys a big tract of land. They knock down all the trees. I hate it when they do that. I love builders that keep trees. And what's the first thing they do? They build a model house, right? Before they build a whole tract of houses. So that people can walk through and say, oh, this is, this is what it looks like if I'm going to live in this neighborhood. Friends, in a sense, that's kind of what the local church is like. It's to be a, like a model house of the world to come. Now, friends, we're, we're not perfect in any way. I mean, you go to model houses. I mean, there's been a bunch of kids walking through that place, wiping snotty hands across. You know you, you know, you realize that the model house isn't exactly how it's supposed to be, but you get a picture, right, of what, of what life in that neighborhood should look like. Friends, is that the way you see the local church? Is that the way you see Crosspoint? Or is it a place for you to come and hear all the things that tickle your ears or do all the things that you want to be done? Or is it a place where this message of Christ is held up and then his claim on all of our lives and works its way through our life together and we, by the way we treat each other and humble ourselves to one another and lay down our lives and serve one another and prioritize one another, not to the exclusion of the world around us, but for the good of the world around us so that the world, as they walk 
walk through our model home Sunday after Sunday would just sense that, wait a minute, life in this neighborhood is different and it's pointing towards that neighborhood that will come heaven. Friends, that's what we are to do as we as a local church together warn and teach everyone with all wisdom that we might take like hand-guided tours to present them, present them to Jesus. That's what he says. We warn everyone and teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect before Jesus on that day. And this, friends, is a toil and a struggle. Oh, it takes work. Come on. It's not easy. We've got to die to ourselves. We have to die to our preferences. It takes work as we roll up our sleeves and say no to our passing pleasures so that we can say yes to the greater joy of proclaiming Christ. What I pray lies ahead for Crosspoint in the decades to come is extravagant and radical generosity towards the work of the gospel in our city and the nations. If we're able to retire this debt, reconfigure our space, do more efficient ministry, I believe that will be the means to an end of us being radically generous. Our mortgage on that loan, $12,000, $13,000 a month, plus I think the interest we pay yearly, $60,000 or so. Can you imagine the freed up hundreds of thousands of dollars each year that we would now have to not spend on ourselves, you know? You know, not, not you know, like we're going to open up a Starbucks in the foyer or rock walls for our kids or, you know, you can go to that new place they built downtown if you want to climb a rock wall. Go do that. But, but that we now are freeing up these resources to fuel and send people out to the uttermost parts of the earth or to the other side of the city for the sake of the gospel. So that behind David and Marie Baum, who are planting a church here in the coming months, there would be many others who would come and be part of this church and get infected with the gospel and the mission that Jesus calls us to and then be sent out in our city so that someday this city would be fueled and filled with gospel-centered churches. And friends, that's not a knock on the other churches in this city, but this church needs more gospel-centered, Bible-preaching churches that are on mission. And so behind David and Marie Baum, I pray that there are many that would come and they would feel, or that young men would come and be part of this church and serve on this staff and go be pastors of existing churches in this city and that we would be radically generous for the sake of the gospel and that behind who in just a few weeks are going to take their two precious children and go across the world and serve as full-time, long-term missionaries in a faraway land where there are virtually no Christians in the city that they will live, that behind them, friends, would be waves and waves and waves of young people in this congregation who don't just sit here in this church forever and just sort of be sort of self-absorbed Christians, but who decide to put all the chips on the table and say, I will go where the name of Jesus has not been named and I will go and that we as a congregation will fuel and fund the display of the gospel all across this world. How exciting is that, friends? How beautiful, how much more satisfying is that rather than paying interest to the bank? No offense to you bankers. I know you guys got to eat too. Just this past week, Will and I had a conversation with a young couple in this congregation who's sensing a call to missions. I think they might be, Lord willing, we pray, the next wave behind Jeremy and Samantha, praying about where they may go. There's some of the sharpest young, there's this desire like, no, stay here and be awesome with us. But that's not the way of the gospel, is it? Snow, give it away. Go, go, man, go, go. I pray that this church would be an oasis of Christ-exalting, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated, Holy Spirit-empowered ministry 
and that we would be willing to go and give and do whatever it takes so that at the end of our eight or nine decades together, this verse, Colossians 1, 28 through 29, would be true of our lives. That we would stand before Christ on that day with nothing left in our hands. And that we are empty because we're spent for the sake of the gospel, knowing that we've proclaimed him, we've rolled up our sleeves, we've warned everyone, we've taught as many as we could, we presented many mature in Christ, and we fall exhausted at the feet of Jesus, having run our race well, entering into our rest. Friends, my prayer is not that we raise $2.5 million, but that we would merely see that as a means to what God wants to do in and through us for the glory of his name, for generations to come. I end, appropriately, with a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. (laughs) He was speaking of John Bunyan, the great Puritan writer and pastor, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which Cecil Cheeves has been teaching a men's group uh, on... Thursday mornings through this wonderful book. There's two books, book one and book two. It has been the most published and read book in the history of civilization outside of the Bible, The Pilgrim's Progress. If you have not read this book, I would highly encourage you to read it. Read it to your church. It's a wonderful book. And it is an allegory of the Christian life. The main character is a man named Christian who grows through the trials and tribulations, who goes through the salvation experience, receives grace, and then navigates through life only to end up in heaven, the gates of the celestial city. And there are people named along the way that are helpers to him and his wife, Christiana. And in the second book, there's this character named Mr. Greatheart, who is like a, a pastor, guide, preacher that comes along to help Christiana, Christian's wife, and their children along their journey to bring them to the gates of this celestial city. He's like a guide sent by the Holy Spirit, and he's called Mr. Greatheart because he has a great heart for souls. And this is what Bunyan, or this is what Spurgeon writes about Mr. Greatheart as he's reflecting on his life, his own life, Spurgeon's life, at the end of his life and the end of his ministry. He says this, I'm occupied in my small way as Mr. Greatheart was employed in Bunyan's day. I do not compare myself with that champion, but I am in the same line of business. In other words, escorting souls to the great celestial city. I am engaged in personally conducted tours to heaven, and I have with me at the present time dear old Father Honest. I am glad he's still alive and active. And there is Christiana, and there are her children. It is my business, as best I can, to kill dragons and cut off giants' heads and lead on the timid and trembling. I am often afraid of losing some of the weaklings. I have the heartache for them, but by God's grace and your kind and generous help in looking after one another, I hope we shall all travel safely to the river's edge. Oh, how many I have had to part with there. I have stood on the brink And I have heard them singing in the midst of the stream. And I have almost seen the shining ones lead them up the hill and through the gates into the celestial city. Friends, do you see what Spurgeon is saying there about this, of course, allegorical story? He's comparing himself to Mr. Greatheart. And I pray that we would see ourselves as a local church like that guide Mr. Greatheart. That him we proclaim toiling with everything in us to lead people like, come on, world, come on, lost friend, come on, self-righteous, unbelieving, moralist church kid, 
Come on, drug abusing, meth addict, person struck. Come on, every, come on. This is who Jesus, Jesus truly is. This is what it truly means to be. Come on, like, come on. Uh, we'll be your guide. Come on, let's, let's go to the river's edge. Let's, let's go. Let's go to Jesus. Let's, let's go to the celestial city. And, I, and I'll do whatever it takes to get you there. Come, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, let's go, let's go. Let's be that type of place, Crosspoint. Let's be that type of church. Pray with me. Father, as I look back on these nine and a half years from our very humble, naive, and ignorant, in my ignorance, those beginnings, I am so thankful that despite our naivete, despite my weakness as a leader, despite poor decisions along the way, despite stumbling and tripping and falling all over ourselves, somehow you have seen fit to cause us to be at this place now. You, by your grace, have given us the most cherished news, the good news of the gospel of how Jesus has made himself a substitute between your holy righteousness and our sin. And early on, Lord, you centered this church on that good news. Lord, we believe that that is the only hope. That is the hope of the world, what Jesus has done. And that everybody needs to hear. Every person in this city, every person in this world. And we join ourselves with innumerable other Christians, thousands of other churches across the world, many other, in, many other churches in our city that are doing the same work. And we pray, Lord, that we would completely spend ourselves for the gospel. That we would toil and struggle. And that we would take hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people with us over our decades together, Lord, even thousands. That you would use us as a means by which we would bring people to Christ. And that when our days are done, Lord, that we would fall down at the end of our days, exhausted, spent, used up, torn, tattered, and full of joy. Lord, would you do this? And Lord, if it be your will, as a tiny little piece of your means to bring that about, would you show off your glory by helping this church to raise money to do these things that we think are wise? Lord, if this isn't in your plan, if we've missed your mark, I, I pray that we would, would be re-diverted or fail miserably and humble ourselves and, and learn from this and pick ourselves back up and get back on track. Lord, do your will. Lord, we, we want our lives to be a blank canvas for your mission. And we want this church to be a blank canvas for your mission. Lord, would you do it? For the glory of your name, for the joy of your people, and for the salvation of many lost in Jesus' name.